Where do we go from here? One of the most unique features of biblical peacemaking is the pursuit of genuine forgiveness and reconciliation. Most conflict has both a substantive and relational element. The substantive element part of that can often be solved in negotiated solutions. The relational differences require confession and forgiveness and often from both parties. Even though Christians, we who have been forgiven much, forgiveness in this world from God, we too often fail to show forgiveness to others. Fortunately for us, God gives us totally, gives us forgiveness totally, and he opens up the way for genuine reconciliation. Yesterday, we spent the day discussing conflict and, and how to resolve it. And I made a statement yesterday that said this, conflict is an unavoidable aspect of everyday life. Whether it is with others, yourself, or within an organization or ministry, conflict is inevitably an aspect of our life experience. Understanding how it starts and how it escalates goes a long way towards us knowing how to use it for our advantage. And we spent a whole day talking about understanding how it starts and understanding how it escalates. Because many conflicts just start very simply with a difference of opinion. And that's neutral. It's just that we have a difference of opinion. It could start with a difference of value. And that could start out so simply, and we call that kind of like a little spat, a difference of opinion. But it can escalate through a variety of different stages to what we call an all-out war. Hostilities. Enemy has been established. Separation is there. And for many people, they have allowed just a difference of opinion to escalate to such a point that has brought such division, as such a chasm between relationships and within families, within churches, within organizations. And some of those separations have lasted for years. This ought not to be. But we have to understand that we deal with conflict differently, many of us here. And how do you deal with conflict? There's all different sorts of ways that people handle conflict. Some just seek to avoid it by either running away from it or by appeasing their enemies. Then there's some who goes to the opposite extreme. Uh, and they almost seem to welcome conflict. And if, and if there's no conflict, they will also stir some up because they just enjoy conflict. And I don't understand that, but there's people who love chaos. We've talked to them over the years. And they talk about it, it bothers them when things are just going smoothly. And if there's no chaos, they create some. Crazy, but that's what they do. They love chaos. They love that environment. Then there are those who will not back down from their core beliefs. Yet, they will seek common ground in which compromise can be made and the issues resolved. This morning, we are going to be looking in the book of Philippians. Uh, this was one of the last letters Paul wrote. Not the last, but one of the last. He wrote it from prison. And as he closes out this book, he gives some instructions to Philippian people. 
And these instructions will help you make the best of the rest of your life. And we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 3. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Iodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, who names are written in the book of life. Throughout his letter to the church of Philippi, Paul provides many principles for building great relationships and resolving conflict. As he started to wind down this letter he was writing, he addressed two church leaders with their problem. Apparently, their conflict, if not at the heart of the Philippian problem, weighed on his heart enough to prompt his direct intervention. He said, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Synthike to agree with each other in the Lord. The little phrase, agree with each other in the Lord, by J.P. Phillips in the New Translation in Modern English, says it this way, to make up your differences as Christians should. To make up your differences as Christians should. Now I want you to say, I want to set this up for you. Imagine sitting in a congregation where this letter to the Philippian church is is read. Now, we have it in what we call the Bible, but these epistles are just letters that Paul wrote to the different churches. He would hear about things that some of the churches he established. He would write, uh, he would tell them how pleased they are with some of the work. He would also write, tell them things that need to be corrected, things that shouldn't be uh, within their midst or some issue that was taking place. Or like he does in Corinthians, he, many parts says, not concerning this, my brother, not concerning this, not concerning this, not concerning this. And those letters were written and they were delivered, hand delivered to the church. And they were read, just like I would read a letter today. Say, Bethany Grace Fellowship, I, Paul... Love you. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, you could say something like that. And there's some things I want to talk to you about today. And you'll be sitting there just waiting and listening what Paul, the father of the church, has to say. So there's these two ladies. I'm sure they're probably sitting on opposite ends of the church. Got their friends around them. And they're listening intently to the letter from Paul. The one they labored with. And I'm sure as he was going, as they were reading the letter out, I'm sure the ladies gave hearty amens when Paul in Philippians 1, 6 was saying, confident that he who's begun a good work in you will see it to completion, even there Christ Jesus. Amen, Paul. Yes, yes, yes. Good word. Good word. And Philippians chapter 2, and part of the scripture there from verse 5 to 11, uh, this is dubbed like the great Christian hymn of the chapter. And I'm sure the ladies might have even been dabbing a little Tears from their eyes, how beautiful that hymn was. And then I'm sure they was again amening them when they talked about beware of those false teachers among you. They were nodding their heads. I'm sure that they were going, yeah, that's right. We got to be aware of those false teachers among us. And then as the letter was running down, Paul 
calls out two ladies by name. Paul has left his teaching and now he's going meddling with people. I'm sure these ladies wanted to crawl underneath the pew. Because here's this great letter. And now Paul calls them out by name. See, Paul was not doing that to embarrass them. But Paul did not hesitate to deal head on with the divisiveness that he saw taking place. Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases these verses this way. I urge you, Iodia and Syntyche, to iron out your differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. God does not want his children holding grudges. Make up, girls. There's some things that we can see and understand and learn from the scriptures here. First of all, these two names are feminine in the Greek. So we can rightly assume that they were women who were prominent in the church of Philippi. Perhaps they were with Lydia when Paul was there preaching at the river prayer meeting. Because he was faithful, he called out. They were workers, faithful workers in the gospel, the good news, going before them. They were important. So because they were important, I'm sure this conflict was highly visible. We're not told what the conflict was about. But I'm sure if it was doctrinal, Paul did not shudder or step back from any doctrinal issues. He always had it hit, always had it head on. So that wasn't a doctrinal issue because he would have said something doctrinal. We got to get this thing straight. It wasn't about that. But there was something that was obviously hindering the unity and the effectiveness of the church. And Paul pleads with them and pleads me to beseech, to beg, to implore them both. He didn't take sides. Paul treats them both tenderly and equally. And Paul does not pull any power play, but Paul appear, uh, uh, appeals to their hearts. You see, if these church ladies were going to get past their conflict, they're going to have to work through their differences for the sake of their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. This demands that true Christians and true Christian character, they have to win over their own pride. Paul implores these ladies to agree in the Lord. The word agree in the Greek has to do with harmony, like musical notes in a chord. In other words, what Paul was saying here, he says, ladies, I want you to quit make Quit making noise and I want you to start making some music. And how many organizations, how many families, how many homes are the folks just making noise and not making harmony, not making music? And Paul is admonishing these ladies, quit making noise and start making music. Bring some harmony into your relationship. Bring some harmony into your family. Bring some harmony into your organization and quit making noise. He urged them to live in one accord with each other. And then notice that they are to come to resolution in the Lord. And Paul uses this fifthy phrase about nine times in four chapters. He's saying you don't have to agree on every detail, 
but you have to, for the sake of the church, discard your disagreement. We're not going to come to agreement on all details. But there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger perspective that God wants us to grab hold of, and it is unity. It is being reconciled one with another so that he can bless us. So he can bless your family. He can bless your marriage. He can bless your business. And this takes spiritual maturity. It takes humility. And it takes a close walk with the Lord to be able to do that. And Paul assumes that these ladies have what it takes to to make that happen. And I'm going to make an assumption here this morning as well because I know who God is in you, that you have what it takes to make it happen. Whatever conflict, whatever division, whatever thing is going on in your life, whether it's in your family, with friends, whether it's in your workplace, you have what it takes to make it happen in the Lord. And in verse 3, Paul also encourages the believers of Philippi not just to ignore the problem or sweep it under the rug but to be proactively engaged in resolving the dilemma. We just can't ignore stuff. Just can't ignore things that you know is not right around you. You got to be proactively involved in that. I'll talk more about that as we go on. Bill Hybels, the senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, said this. First of all, we all need to acknowledge That conflict is inevitable. Then we go to the next step and say, when your nose get bent out of joint, not if, but when, you have a biblical responsibility to take on the high road of conflict resolution. That means going directly to the person with whom you're having a conflict rather than building a guerrilla team to ambush this person later. You have a biblical responsibility to go directly to that person whom you have conflict with and build some reconciliation in the Lord. It is inevitable with any congregation, with any business, with any home and family, that there's going to be differences we're going to have because we're different people. And nothing's wrong with that. Conflict is neutral. It's what we do with it that either makes it positive or negative. Because God, if he didn't want us to have conflict, we'd all be made the same. And I would suggest that you all look like me. That'd be just the thing we, I think I could be the model for everybody. Just all look like me. We all just would get along. You all would think the way I think. And, and that'd be wonderful. But that's not what God wanted. He wanted the variety. That's why each of you look differently. That's why each of you have a different perspective. Because there's beauty in that. Utilize that diversity instead of allowing it to cause conflict and division within us. Did you, would you like to marry you? I wouldn't. I mean, I'm, I think I'm the best thing since sliced bread, but I wouldn't want to marry me. Because I have some issues, and I have issues with me. So we marry many times the differences, and we see those differences of value in recording. But then we get married, then those differences become headaches. They shouldn't. They're just differences. Differences attract each other. 
That's a sidebar. But Paul talks to us here about this inner conflict that's taking place in his beloved church. And if we look back at the church of the first century, the church of Philippi was really one of the greatest ones there. But this church stood on the brink of destruction because of internal conflict between the individuals within that church. When we have conflict, we must seek the mind of Christ. And what keeps us from doing that is human pride many times, the pride of the flesh, and personal ambition can get in the way of that. Let's look at James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. James writes here, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask... You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So it talks about where do these inner conflicts come from? Many times inside of us, because we got the wrong motives, the wrong motivation, the wrong vision, the wrong outlook on what we should do. And that's why the Lord tries to teach us through his word how we should live, how we should operate. What are the kingdoms of the principles? What are the basis for our relationships? And a lot of it has to do with just love and being reconciled one with another. Relationship. That's all God wants is a relationship with us. That's why he sent his son Jesus to have relationship. And really, that's what we really want with one another, just really relationship. And we've got to work through stuff to get there. Jesus emphasized how important it is for Christians to relate rightly to one another. And he did that through various different stories and parables that he talked to us about. There's one in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. Peter came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? It's a very interesting story because Peter already knew the answer. Because Jewish teaching, and then the Talmud says this. It says, if your brother offends you, you forgive him. If your brother offends you again for the same offense, you forgive him. If your brother offends you again for the same offense, you forgive him. If the brother now comes to you and again and offend you for the same offense, you don't forgive him anymore. Three times was the limit. After three times, forgiveness no more. Peter already knew that. But Peter, being the A student, wanted to come to Jesus with a really good answer. He already knew the three, three limit. And we don't know what the motivation was, but I would venture to say, knowing those disciple guys, there's probably some things that took place outside of Jesus' purview. And probably there was somebody who was messing with Peter. 
And he went to one time, he went to two times, he went to three times, and he was done. So he wanted to get some pat on the back from Jesus. Uh, Jesus, <clears throat> if your brother offends you, uh, how many times do you forgive him? Uh, uh, is it seven? Now, he knew it was three. <laughs> but I'm sure that when he says seven, he was expecting Jesus to say, Peter, oh, you are awesome. Flesh and blood not revealed that. My father in heaven revealed that. Oh, you are great. You can say seven times? Man, that is just so good. But Jesus didn't answer that way. He said 70 times seven. 490 times? Are you crazy? Yep, my father's crazy too to forgive you what you've done as well. But he does it. So you too need to learn how to forgive without limitations on it. Because you can't get locked into some number. You have to get locked into the concept that for reconciliation's sake, it doesn't really matter how many times because I want relationship. Jesus also said in uh, Matthew 5, 23, 24, says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Before we come to worship, we should remember that how we relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ will affect our relationships to God. Jesus made that clear. And he asked, how will people really know that you are my disciples? He said that you'll know by the love that we have for one another. Nothing hurts so badly as to be injured inside the house of God. It is so tragic when we find countless numbers of people who don't go to church because somehow they have been injured in their service to God. It is so tragic because of what should have happened was reconciliation and not injury. Paul says to seek agreement in the Lord. If you have a disagreement, then you should seek agreement in the Lord. You know that God has forgiven you of so much more than you could ever forgive someone else. So you need to do as Paul says here and seek agreement with those you have difficulty with. So how do you know if you have a relationship that needs this kind of reconciliation? For one thing, there's an issue that needs sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. It is something that needs to be approached with much prayer. You need to remember that it is reconciliation that you seek, not revenge. It is reconciliation you seek, not revenge. Paul did not say to get even in the Lord. Paul said to seek agreement in the Lord. It's not about keeping rights. It's not about keeping wrongs. It's not about keeping records. It's about 70 times 7. It's about the concept of relationship, reconciliation, healing, deliverance, humility. It may mean, it may mean humbling yourself to go to another person. It may be that you have wronged them or they have wronged you. But according to this passage, in either case, we seek agreement in the Lord. That is when a church really gives testimony with all the diversity that there is harmony in the Lord. And seeking reconciliation from others will prevent you from having bitterness and resentment in your life 
that can keep you from a proper relationship in the Lord. Paul tells the church to stand firm. Don't compromise on the message. But he also tells them to seek reconciliation. And then Paul says to seek others who can help you in reconciliation. You see, we need to see conflict as an opportunity. Conflict is not necessarily bad or destructive. Conflict exists as a reality in any relationship and is bound to occur just because people think differently and have differing needs. Conflict is inevitable. But conflict can be resolved in a godly manner. We have to be at a place that we want to walk in the path that God wants us to walk. And ultimately, the reason we can handle conflict in a godly way is because God has already resolved our most dire conflict. And that conflict was against him in our sin. And he's already resolved that conflict. Because God has forgiven us much in Christ Jesus, we can forgive others. Because God sought us out, we have wronged him. We've wronged him, but he sought us out. We can seek out and try to restore relationships with those who have wronged us by their careless words or deeds. The gospel not only redeems us, but it can redeem our conflicts too. Christian unity occurs when there's one mind, and that mind is that of Jesus Christ controlling his followers. The Christian develops this unity as they are transformed by the renewing of their mind through the scriptures and become more like Jesus. The first act in resolving conflict is to call the parties of contention to seek the mind of the Lord in the matter and submit to that. If we actively did that all the time, we would really avoid conflict. But even when conflict arises, as soon as we begin to do that, seek the Lord's mind in this thing and see how we can work it out in him, conflict will go. And the second action in resolving conflict is to send help. This is what Paul does and says in verse 3, because he asked someone identified as a true comrade or companion or more literally a yoke fellow to help them. And there are times when we, we need a neutral party to help work us through our conflicts that we develop with others. In part, this is because our emotions get worked up or we just get stubborn or we lose sight of the bigger picture. What is the Lord saying here? What does he want here? We lose sight of that. Or we make a mountain out of a molehill. And then we respond to our fellow Christian or our wives or our brothers, or our sisters, or our parents. We respond to them as an enemy. And they're not. And as believers, we need to be proactive in the lives of each other. When Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. He was talking about those who are willing to get in the middle of a conflict in order to stop it and get it resolved. And certainly there's a lot of risk in doing that because one or both parties could turn on you. And that's why it takes mature believers to be involved in that lest we get sucked in and become party to the conflict themselves. 
And then, and if you are in a conflict, be humble and seek to work it out. Jesus even tells us in Matthew 5, 20 24, regarding our worship, that we need to be reconciled with our brothers before we can properly worship. We're to strive to be at peace with all men for as far as it depends on us in Romans 12, 18. And Jesus told us to love our enemies. So no matter how badly they have treated us, we are still to try to resolve it. Today, the devotional that we read at our home for October 28th really kind of tied in to this message here. It says, do not expect to be treated fairly in this life. People will say and do harmful things to you, things that you don't deserve. When someone mistreats you, try to view it as an opportunity to grow in grace. See how quickly you can forgive the other who has wounded you. Don't be concerned about setting the record straight. Instead of obsessing about the other person's opinion of you, keep your focus on me. Ultimately, it is my view of you that counts. As you concentrate on relating to me, remember that I have clothed you in my righteousness and holiness. I have attired you in these radiant garments which I bought for you for my blood. This also is not fair, but it is a pure gift. When others treat you unfairly, remember that my ways with you are much better than fair. My ways are peace and love, which I have poured out into your heart by my spirit. If you cannot work it out by yourself, then we need to get help from someone who's godly and not involved in the conflict. Because Jesus is concerned about unresolved conflict because it will damage us if we allow it to. We need to make sure that we're part of the solution and not part of the problem. And in that we bring glory to our Savior's name. There's some things up this morning. I want to share these general statements with you. First of all, conflict should be dealt with and not ignored. We can't stick our heads in the ground like an ostrich and think conflict's going to go by. We can't think that if we don't go to a conflict in our marriages, our relationships, that they're going to get better. They're going to get worse. Nothing just stays the same. Sometimes we think we don't do anything that we kind of stay in this neutral spot. No, we decrease instead of increasing. You don't just stop. So if you're not building, you're tearing down. So we can't ignore it. It is the 800-pound elephant in the room. You can't ignore it. Conflict should be dealt with personally when possible. Deal with it on your own. And don't go to others with a prayer concern. We know how to do that pretty good. We'll talk to other people about the other person instead of going to the other person with a 
prayer concern, and we'll tell five people with this prayer concern. Now, this is just between you and us. I just want to tell you about the situation, and I, I, I just was so, I, I can't believe they did that to me. And I just, I'm just, I, you know, I just can't, oh, oh baby, that's all. Oh, that's all, oh, you poor baby. Yeah, that's right. They should be doing, and we like that. And then they'll tell five, they'll, they'll, that five tell over five. That's wrong. Get together with the person. Go talk to them. Let it be between you and them. And if you can't do it by yourself, then that's when you take somebody else. Bring in that other person to help you. Also, the ideal of conflict resolution is to see repentance. It's to see repentance. It's to see repentance, not punishment. It is not your job to be the jury, the judge, and executioner. And many of you have gotten in that role. And that's not your role. It is the Lord's role. It is your job to bring reconciliation. It is your job to bring repentance. It is your job to see the whole picture, that unity is what God blesses, not disunity. And some of our homes and families are not blessed because we've allowed these issues to divide us instead of working in the Lord to bring it together. We need to make sure that our conflicts are real and not just offenses. We are so easily offended, and the Bible warns about us being offended. Are these real conflicts, or are you just ticked off? (laughs) Because if you're just ticked off, get over it. (laughs) You're not to be ticked off. You don't need to be ticked off. God to be ticked off with you, with your stinking attitude. Hello, as I'm here by myself, or... But we need to move on beyond that. Get rid of our offenses and begin to work on our issues. We should practice great forgiveness. Keeping in mind that for which we have been forgiven. And as Paul was, uh, uh, I mean, Peter was sharing that that question with Jesus. And he told him 70 times 7. Then he went into a story. He said, I'm going to tell you this story about this king. Who decided one day he's going to settle all of his debts. All the people, all the servants owed him money. And he brought the people into court and he had them there before them and he was going down the cases and this one servant owed him millions of dollars. And the king said, I want my money. And he said, I don't have it, sir. I just don't have it, king. I'm so sorry. He said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your family. I'm going to sell everything you have. And you're going to pay what you owe me. And the guy pleaded, oh, please don't do that. Please give me time. Please don't sell me. Don't sell my family. Oh, please, king, please, king, please, king, please, king. And he did. The king heard him. He said, I heard your plea. And what I've decided to do is I'm going to forgive you and forgive your debt. Millions of dollars. King said, I'm going to forgive it. You're set free, son. You're set free, servant. Forgiven. The story goes on and says, he leaves the king's presence. Instead of rejoicing, hallelujah, kicking his feet up, running outside saying, I'm set free, I'm set free, I'm set free. Oh, hallelujah. Boy, the king said, he didn't do that. He said he went to a servant's house, another servant that owed him a few thousand dollars. And he said he went into the house and he said, give me my money now. And he said he choked him. I want my thousand dollars now. And the servant pleaded and pleaded and pleaded. Oh, please, please, please. I can't do it. Give me time, more time, more time. No, I want it now. I want it now. Give me my money. 
Matter of fact, I'm throwing you in jail and I'm going to keep you in jail until you pay my debt. And that's what he did. Had him arrested, put in jail, until he could pay his debt. The other servants were angry that this servant would do that. This one who's been forgiven millions of dollars would not forgive the servant a few thousand. The king brought him up and said, what are you doing? You came in here, you pleaded with me. I was going to sell you, sell your family, everything you own for that money. And I forgave you of all those millions. And now you go for a fellow servant and you throw him in jail for a few thousand. That's it, dude. You are finished. You're toast. I'm throwing you and everything away. Then Jesus said, because he had been forgiven much, he could forgive little. He says, so is the Lord looking at you. You who have been forgiven much. And if you can't forgive little in your heart, this will happen to you as well. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. We got to practice great forgiveness. Keeping in mind we've been forgiven. And what happens when we let conflict go unresolved? It grows into broken relationships and broken churches. What happens when we don't forgive? We stun our growth. Cause hurt in another brother and weaken the church. But just as brothers and sisters should get along, we can by dealing with conflict properly and in love. And I'll finish with this scripture. And these two questions. Do you love your fellow Christian? Do you love Jesus Christ? If so, then with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Show forbearance to one another in love, being diligent, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I don't know about you today. I don't know what conflict you may be experiencing, where you're walking, what things are happening in your life. What's happening in your workplace, what's happening in your family. I don't know any of those situations, but I do know one thing. That God is calling you to reconciliation. God is calling you to peace, to be a peacemaker. You see, it's not really about what's happening or what owes you or who owes you or what was done to you. It's not anything about that. Because if it was, man, we got a messed up kingdom. Because God who loves us didn't take any count of what we've done to him, how we rejected him and our sins and stuff that separated us. He didn't, he doesn't deal in that. He, he loves us so that he wants relationships in such a way that he made a way that we could be redeemed to him, that we could have fellowship and relationship, even in these states that we're in today. He tells us, let that be the model of our relationships with others. Let me be the model of your relationship with others. Me who forgiven you for so much, I'm asking you for so little. I'm asking you for so little to walk in unity, to walk at peace with those who I've placed your relationship with. I've placed you in those families. I've placed you in your marriage. I've placed you in that workplace. I've placed you in this church. But I've placed you in all those places for you to bring the kingdom, for you to bring peace, for you to bring restoration, for you to bring reconciliation. As Jesus came to reconcile God into man, he's now given us the same ministry of reconciliation for us to go and do the same. And any place we got disunity keeps reconciliation from happening.
So I'm just going to ask you, ask God, Holy Spirit, to reveal to you where you need to go, what you need to do, and how you need to proceed. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for that which you're doing. Because the Spirit does great things. I thank you, Lord, that you take those words and, and you are the one who ministers to a person's heart. And I ask, Father, today that the words that I've shared here from you, that those words that came directly from you would root and would ground and be in a person's heart today and would do the work you sent it forth to do. And, Lord, is there anything that I've added to that, I ask that that would just pass through their system and not reside. But those things from you, let it remain and let it be something that will direct them and guide them and lead them in the way that they should go. I thank you, Lord, for loving us and thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and, and what he's done for us on the cross of Calvary to make this way possible that we can freely love some other people. We can freely forgive them because of you loved us freely and you forgave us freely. Let us carry that example forth. Let us see healing happen in our homes, our families, our marriages, our relationships, our workplaces, our churches, oh God, that we can be the example that you want us to be in the day in which we live. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.